Gresham College presents The Mathematical Skyline by Professor Simon Salomon. This, as I wrote in the uh, transcript, this talk is partly light-hearted and partly serious. It's light-hearted because it's meant to be a talk about four chimneys, but at the moment there are only three chimneys, actually two and a half. I went on the roof of the physics department at King's yesterday, and they even have a telescope they offered to look for me at Battersea. And you can only see two chimneys, but then I didn't believe that, so I went to Victoria. And actually, there were about two and a half chimneys standing today. What's more, when I first started, when I conceived of this talk, immediately I conceived of the talk, they started dismantling the chimneys. Um, I hope that within one, two years, that the four chimneys will be back. 100 metres tall. So I'm afraid for this talk you're going to have to just imagine that today there are four chimneys standing. And that's a serious matter as well because we're talking about the redevelopment of the Battersea site, uh, which is not completely uncontroversial, very different sort of redevelopment than from the Bankside Power Station. But anyway, today's a talk about mathematics. Uh, it's also serious from my point of view because the mathematics is, I find, very interesting. And I think the serious aspect of it is that it teaches one that mathematics underlies everything in the everyday world. You sometimes have to think twice to see that. But even everyday objects like the chimneys describe very rich mathematics. So the, the point of this talk is to explain how the four chimneys, the four hypothetical chimneys which we're all used to seeing of the power station, how these give rise to conic curves, conic sections. So on the left, there's this uh, picture taken by Matt Twain, actually, in 2013. When I first saw the picture, I thought it was a lot older, um, but it was taken from Ebury Bridge near Victoria Coach Station, and it shows the four chimneys uh, equally spaced, which will be our problem. And we're going to somehow generate from those chimneys a conic curve, well, various conic curves, but in particular a hyperbola, which you can just see on the right. It's the curve, not the straight lines on the right. So when I say the chimneys, I really mean the points that they mark on a map. So it's just convenient to have the chimneys, but you should think of them as pins on a map. So you look down from above on a map of London or a satellite view, and the four chimneys correspond to four points, which are the corners of a rectangle. And I'll explain how these four corners generate conic curves. And what are conic, conics, or sometimes called conic sections? Um, they are sections, conics, or conic sections, are sections of a circular cone. That's one way of defining them. So you get a circular cone by just rotating one line you take two intersecting lines and rotate one line about the other, that gives you a circular cone. And in this particular vertical slice, which you see, it will slice the cone in a hyperbola. You can also get ellipses if you take a sort of more horizontal plane, or even a circle is an example of a conic. Uh, and if you're very careful, you can get a hyperbola, uh, sorry, a parabola by slicing parallel to, to the axis. Incidentally, if at home you have a standard sort of table light with a circular lampshade, then you'll see a hyperbola is the edge of the shadow you get because you can think of this cone as a, a light cone and, and 
when the light is near the wall, the shadow on the wall is uh, bounded by a hyperbola. So now I'm, I'm going to present the problem and the point about this lecture, the aim of this lecture is to solve this problem too quick. So I'm honoured that David Singmaster is here today in the audience because it was he who set the, the problem which I'm going to try to solve today. He'd actually written it up in, in an open university magazine although I learnt it from him at a breakfast, in fact, in Cumberland Lodge in Windsor Great Park, more or less three years ago. It was very flooded. There were floods all over the park. I had to drive through the floods, but it was worth it to hear this problem. So his problem is he'd observed, driving around London, that there are certain places from which the chimneys appear to be equally spaced horizontally along the skyline along the horizons. I'm not talking about the vertical, some are up and some are down, that's irrelevant. It's the horizontal spacing. So he, first of all, imagined that there were points where, where this is true, and the question is, where do you have to be positioned in London to see the chimneys like that? Now, there, there are different ways of interpreting this problem, and if you look at the small print, he actually talks at some point about photographing. He talks about a photo, and I think that's important. I've interpreted this as a question about photography. So the idea is that you, you stand somewhere, you take a photograph of the power station, you they develop it in the old-fashioned way, and you print out the, the photograph on a table. You take a ruler, like this red ruler, and you want to make sure that the three distances between adjacent chimneys are equal. That's the problem. As they roughly are, this is a view, I think, from under Chelsea Bridge, and it appears like that. And we'll see in a moment that it depends on the order in which... I mean, there's, the or, the, there's also the order of the chimneys. So if you, if you walk along Grosvenor Road, you'll, you'll also see at a different point the chimneys equally spaced, but in a different order. And that's part of the problem. So what I want to try to convince you is that this question is a fantastic question. It's, it's what I would call well-posed. First of all, it has an affirmative answer. There are such points. And not only that, that its solution sort of takes you through a journey of mathematics, takes you through some very interesting mathematics. So, in particular, we'll talk about permutations. That means the, way, the order in which you see the chimneys. And I'll try to explain to you, this is more technical, but I'll try to explain something called the cross-ratio, which is a fundamental object in projective geometry which underlies this talk. And then we'll learn something about these conic curves, like hyperbolas. Uh, they're linked to their asymptotes because a hyperbola, the asymptotes of a hyperbola are the straight lines that are approximated at large distances and it's, it's difficult to study one without the other. In fact, when I showed you the hyperbola to begin with, the computer wasn't able just to draw the hyperbola. It automatically draws the asymptotes as well. Uh, there probably won't be time, but, but a, a related problem actually leads one to talk about cubic curves. But, but that could be part of a different lecture, probably. Uh, and I'm reminded to thank my colleagues, um, John Sylvester and John Armstrong from King's College. John Sylvester was at this famous breakfast, and that's how mathematical collaborations start. They start over a meal, 
then you develop things, then you need to call in a, an external expert, which in this case is John, also in my, John Armstrong, also in my department. And then we think we've solved the problem, although there's more work one could do. So a bit of history about the power station site. Um, the power station was designed by Sir Giles Gilbert Scott, and originally it was just the western block with the two western chimneys that was built in the 1930s. The first chimney to be erected was the, the north northwest chimney, um, which actually is today is the only one that's not, which is absent. Um, and then the and then I guess after the war, the, the eastern block of the power station was added, Battersea B. And the last chimney to be erected, I think, was the south eastern chimney, which was erected in 1955. So certainly there were many years in which there were not four chimneys standing. For many years, there were just two chimneys standing. And the Battersea B, I think, was decommissioned in the 1980s. And then there were various plans for using the site. I think there was an idea to have a theme park. Uh, but to cut a long story short, the site was purchased by an Irish company in 2006 for about 400 million. And uh, Rafael Vignoli was commissioned to produce a plan for, for adding buildings and uh, restructuring the, the mm -hmm. site with apartments and so on. This was, this was not his first master plan you're seeing. I think this was a later plan. But he talked about fluid geometry, fluid geometry of buildings and curved geometrical forms surrounding the power station. And it's curious that we, in our own way today, will produce these curved forms in our own master plan, our sort of virtual theoretical master plan. Actually, Vignola's first master plan involved a very, very high tower, a circular tower, which Boris Johnson referred to as an inverted toilet roll holder. And uh, I, I guess that was the equivalent of Margaret Thatcher's handkerchief on the tail of a BA plane. But anyway, the plan didn't materialise, uh, maybe because of the financial crisis, credit ran out, and uh, the receivers were called in. And eventually the, the site was put on the open market in 2012, I think. And there were various bids for it. As you may know, Chelsea Football Club, they, they were considering moving their stadium from Fulham Road to, to the Battersea site, but that didn't work out because the winning bid came from a Malaysian um, corporation. Two Malaysian firms which are currently running the redevelopment. Um, so a, a year or so later, the famous architects were asked to draw up, sort of flesh out the details of the current master plan. Uh, and so there's this idea of constructing this electric boulevard, which is a sort of version of New Bond Street in Battersea, with Gary's Flower Building, Prospect Place, and other fancy buildings. But I'm actually much more interested in the swimming pool. So there's a plan to build art, an art hotel, art hotel, next to the power station, just south of the power station, with a swimming pool on the roof. It's going to be one, supposedly it's going to be one of these infinity swimming pools in which when you swim you don't see the edge of the pool. 
And that's sending exactly the right message uh, for the mathematics because it's all about points at infinity. And in fact, I want to talk about points at infinity. So when you swim in the pool, you sort of have to imagine the points very, very far away from the power station. Uh, another curious feature of all the publicity is often the shots only show three chimneys. Probably they knew that there wouldn't be four chimneys visible for a long time, so they always show one chimney hiding behind another. And that leads to a different mathematical problem to do with angles and the cubic curves I mentioned. But I just want to emphasise today, I want to suppose there are four chimneys standing. So my problem I want to solve is one about photography. It's to do with perspective. First of all, parallel lines. Then later on, we'll have lines, concurrent lines. And it's about four chimneys and lengths. OK, so let's start the, the mathematical journey with a discussion of the order of the chimneys. So in this plan here, I, you can see the four chimneys schematically. They form a a rectangle, and the, the chimneys, if you draw lines in various ways through the chimneys, they divide the, the plane or the map of London into regions. And from each region, you, you, if you stand in each region, you see the chimneys in a different order. So, for example, I'm, soon I'm going to emphasise that the view I've already shown you a photo from Ebury Bridge that would correspond, and I've labelled the chimneys so that if you're standing on Ebury Bridge near Victoria, you see them in the order 1, 2, 3, 4. So that's why I've chosen this somewhat strange ordering of the chimneys. So chimney number 2 is, for example, the northwest chimney. Uh, but if you pass one of these lines, then you, you swap over two of the chimneys. So if you walk, you start northwest and you go further north-northwest, maybe... Uh, you're swapping chimneys two and three, so the order becomes one, three, two, four. This is the order in which you see the chimneys from left to right. So in our problem, we have to be aware, I'm not going to waste too much time on this, but we have to be aware that the solution of the problem will depend upon the order in which you see the chimneys, as I've numbered them. And if you know about permutations, you'll know that there are, four, there are 24 ways of ordering four objects. What's, what's called four factorial, four times three times two times one, because the first object, the first chimney, you can choose in four ways, and you've got three left for the second chimney and two left for the third chimney. So there are 24, you might think there are 24 ways of ordering the chimneys. Well, there are, but you can only see 12 different ways if you wander around the outside of the power station. Uh, so that's already a curiosity, and, and if you know about these things, it's got nothing to do with the alternating group. It's, it's a different phenomenon. So let's go back to the, the problem of equal spacing. We want to try to work out where we have to stand to see the chimneys equally spaced along the horizon. And the go back to the swimming pool, the infinity swimming pool... Points at infinity in geometry have to do with parallel lines because parallel lines, they don't meet at a finite point, but they're said to meet at infinity. So that's our, our cue to talk about parallel lines. So here I've drawn a set of four parallel lines that go, each line goes through one of the chimneys. Now, at this point, I have to tell you roughly the dimensions of Battersea Power Station. It was a boiler house rectangle. It's, I'm told, about 160 metres 
well, David told me, it's 160 metres by 50 metres. So what I've done here is to, to get these lines, you see these are equally spaced, these lines. Any, any fifth line passing through those four lines, the, the three distances will be equal, wherever the fifth line is. And to accomplish that, it, it suffices to make sure that two of the lines, the middle two lines here, go through the midpoints of two of the sides of the rectangle. So as long as you ensure that these two middle lines go through the midpoints and one other chimney, that fixes the whole setup, and we've produced four parallel lines which are equally spaced. And the, the direction of, a, of parallel lines is you can measure it by its slope. Uh, and here the slope of these lines is said to be 8 over 5 because you go up, if you go up 80 metres, you're going across 80 metres vertically corresponds to 50 metres horizontally. So vertical divided by horizontal is 80 over 50 or 8 over 5. That's the slope of these lines. But if you think about it, this is, we're sort of getting towards one solution of our problem. These are equally spaced lines, but the problem is you, they're parallel lines, so really to see the chimneys like that, you'd have to be a long, long way away. In theory, you'd have to be standing at infinity. Uh, and there are also different sets of parallel lines you can draw like this because we could also use the midpoints of the shorter sides, the north and the south sides of the power station. So here are four sets of parallel lines which are also equally spaced. These are, these are the only ways of getting equally spaced parallel lines. In each set, one line goes through one, one of the chimneys. And... Uh, these correspond to some of the orderings that I showed you before. So, for example, if you... We, first of all, I showed you the green lines before actually they've changed colour. Uh, but if you go to the, the, the red lines here, these are the lines in which you would see the chimneys in the order I said before, one, two, three, four. And then if you change to the blue lines, you'll swap two of the chimneys over and so the order will be different. Incidentally, if you, if you stand at the bottom of the red lines, you will see the order in the reverse. The order is always given from left to right, so instead of seeing 1, 2, 3, 4, you'd see the order 4, 3, 2, 1. So altogether, although I haven't written the permutations at the bottom, we get eight permutations from this method, eight different ways of seeing the orders. But remember, before we had 12, so we're sort of missing, we're missing four. But anyway, why is this getting towards the solution of our problem? Because if we look at an even smaller scale, these sets of four lines each sort of coalesce into one single line. So if we're really a long way away from the power station, we can think of these sets of four lines as just really a single line, just a fattened line. And yet they were equally spaced because of the way I, I constructed them with midpoints. Um, using similar triangles and so on, you can prove that they're, they're equally spaced. So if you stand far enough away from the power station, on the path of one of these thickened lines, you will see the chimneys equally spaced along the horizon. So in some sense, you know, mathematically we would say that is the solution, that's the solution at infinity. If you're standing far enough away, theoretically at infinity, 
you will see the chimneys equally spaced, provided you're on one of these sets of lines. You know, now if this is an exam, I could put down my pen now and walk out, and I'd get quite a few marks, probably. But this is, only, this is actually only part of the solution. In fact, I've exaggerated the, the geometry here, because the, th the thickness of these sets of lines, for example, the green set of lines, if you remember the dimensions of the power station, the thickness of this green set of lines is about 170 metres. So that's many times the width of Grosvenor Road. This is meant to be Grosvenor Road north of the Thames. So it's actually, there's much more uncertainty than I've shown here. You'd have to be much further away than Grosvenor Road for this to give you an accurate um, description an accurate place to stand. I mean, even it's always going to be a sort of uncertainty of 170 metres, but at least if you're on Ebury Bridge, that's roughly the length of the bridge, so it's, it, you will see the, the chimneys equally spaced, more or less wherever you are on that, on that bridge. Uh, but we, we do need to be, to be more accurate. I, this is just a sort of approximate solution. Okay? And we have to now pass from parallel lines to concurrent lines because we want to talk about photography and it's all very well if you're a long way away you pretend you're seeing a distant galaxy and the lines do arrive in parallel from a, a distant star or galaxy but if you're much closer the lines will not arrive in parallel from the chimneys they'll arrive and they'll be concurrent at, at, at the focal point of the camera or whatever or the observer so it's this slide that, that describes what really the problem is really about. We have our four chimneys, which are the black dots at the bottom, and we have an observer or a photographer, perhaps I should have called it P for photographer, and we imagine rays of light coming from each chimney to the observer or the photographer. And we've also got a film, a camera film, or maybe a canvas if you're drawing, painting the power station. So we have the observer and, and a film, or an iPad maybe nowadays, to take a photo of the power station. And we need to sort of describe lengths. So, and this is the basis of something called the cross-ratio in projective geometry. So what you do is you, the cross-ratio is going to be a number associated to any four lines that are concurrent, any four lines that meet at a single point. And to work out what this number is, you draw any fifth line, so the fifth line I've shown in red, and it can be any, any line that cuts the other four. So for the moment, we've fixed our chimneys, and we've fixed the position of the observer, and we're drawing lines from the chimneys to the observer. That's all fixed. But our fifth red line can be where we want it to, provided it cuts the other four lines. And we just denote the four points where the red line hits the other four. We call those x1, x2, x3, and x4. Or more precisely, I'm using the x's to represent distances measured along this fifth line. So if you like, I might choose a point, doesn't matter where I choose it, I might choose the starting point here of the fifth line, and the distance from that point to x4 is, well, x4 is the distance from there to the first dot. x2, x3 is the distance from there to the second dot. 
Well, third dot, probably, however you order it. And x1 is the distance from this black dot to the start. Having got those distances, you can then work out this ratio which I've written down. So this cross-ratio, as it's called, is simply the... To work this out, you have to first of all take the distance from x1... Well, the distance x1 minus x3, or if you like, the distance from this point to that point, the distance between these two points. Although you have to be careful about whether it's positive or negative. That's why I've put x1 on the right. So it's x1 minus x3, that's meant to be positive here, times x2 minus x4, which is this distance. You multiply those two distances together and you divide by the distance, the big distance from x1 to x4 times the small distance from x2 to x3. And that's the cross-ratio. That's the definition of the cross-ratio. And it seems an innocent enough thing, but um, immediately you notice that it doesn't depend what units of measurement I use, because if I use feet or inches or metres or whatever, it doesn't matter because the, the scalings cancel out top and bottom. So I can use, doesn't matter what unit of measurement I use, nor does it matter where I measure from, I said from the point here, but it's just the distance between the, the, the dots that matters, the distances between the dots. So it doesn't really matter uh, whether I start there. I could even call one of these quantities zero and the next one one, and, and that I'd only really just have two numbers that determine the cross-ratio. So already you see that this quantity is rather remarkable, that it doesn't depend on lots of things, but much more is true. It doesn't even depend on the position of the fifth line. Uh, and that's the fundamental fact of projective geometry, of the cross-ratio, that if I were to take the other line, the, the smaller line, which is meant to represent a camera film or canvas, and I do the same trick, the same game, I have four points here and I do the same, the, the numbers will be completely different, but by the time I've formed this ratio, product divided by product, that ratio will be the same because the four lines are the same and so it doesn't matter where I put the fifth line. That's the point of the cross-ratio. And, well, I don't want to bore you with the details, but actually the cross-ratio, as I've defined it, is a quantity associated with four lines that pass through a single point. It's a quantity associated with four concurrent lines. But you can equally well think of it as a quantity associated to four points on a line, because to define it, I only needed the red line and four points on the line. I didn't need the black lines, I just needed the four points on the red line L. So it's also a quantity which you associate to four points on a line. And then this invariance, the fact that it doesn't depend upon the fifth line, is expressed, sometimes expressed in the following way. that If you, if you do have two lines, as we had before, the first, well, one line I've called L and the other one L primed. If you project from a, a given point, in our case the position of the observer, you can think of that as a way of mapping each point of the second line to the first line. So any point on that line, you can what's called project from O, and that sends that point to that point. So there's an association. All the points on this line can be sent to points on that line. 
So if you have four points on this line, now forget the black line, suppose we just have four points on this line, you can compute their cross-ratio. When you apply this transformation, as it's called, you'll get four different points here, and the, the theorem which I mentioned says that the cross-ratio is the same. So to say that in fancy language, it means that these transformations, sometimes called perspectivities, with vanishing point O, from the artistic point of view, these preserve the cross-ratio. Okay, so that, that's really what's going on here. So this cross-ratio is, is a quantity that doesn't change when you apply these quite wide types of transformation. And here we're talking about transformations of lines, of one-dimensional objects, but you can do the same thing in the plane. So here I've got four different photos of the same scene Okay, I've got four objects on a carpet, and I haven't moved the objects, I've just moved the viewpoint of the camera. And if you start on the top left, you can obviously associate to every point top left, well, if, if the photos are infinite, you could, you could associate to every point top left a point, say, top right. You know, the, the, the handle of the mug, it's the Juventus football mug actually, can be on, on the left hand side, can be associated to the handle on the right hand side. And that, that also gives you a transformation. It gives you an example of what's called a projective transformation. And we're just changing the viewpoint. And you also see that things that are, were originally circles can become ellipses. The, the top of the mug, if you look from above, is a circle, but in most of the pictures it appears an ellipse. And in fact, projective transformations of this sort can take any conic to a different sort of conic. So a circle is a type of conic. It can be mapped to an ellipse. If we extend our vision, we can even map it to a hyperbola if you include infinities. So that's the point about, that's the relationship between really these projective transformations and conics. Anyway, let's get back to our equal spacing problem. And... I'll try and say why, I know it's getting a bit more technical now, but, but why is the cross-ratio relevant? Um, so let's go back to the photography, and I'm not, I don't want experts to sort of contradict my interpretation. So I ought to say at this point, I'm really thinking of a pinhole camera. So I'm thinking of these rays of light from the chimneys as passing through a pinhole and then ending up on this red screen film L-primed. So O is now the pinhole in the camera. And what I want to do is I want to stand at a point so that the image on my film, the, the, there's equal spacing between the lines hitting the film of the camera. So I'm looking for positions of the camera, or the pinhole, if you like, which are such that the three distances, the three distances between adjacent lines on this L prime are equal. That's the equal spacing. If that's true, then the observer will see the, or the photographer, when the film is developed, will see the, the chimneys equally spaced. And you see now why the cross-ratio is relevant, because if that's true on the top line, it has to be true on every line that the cross-ratio has, has to be the same. Well, what would the cross-ratio be if these are equal, equally spaced? If you remember the definition, we have to take, first of all, uh, what was it, x1 minus x3. Well, that would be like two units, because these are now meant to be equally spaced. Not necessarily on this line, but on this line. 
So x1 minus x3, that would be two units, times x2 minus x4, that would be two units, and then we have to divide by the big distance, which is now three units, times the small distance, which is one unit. That's not true on L, but we want it to be true on L prime. So we want the cross ratio to be 4 over 3. 2 times 2 over 3 times 1. The arithmetic is very easy, but the concept is more sophisticated. We want the cross ratio. So if, we want, if we're able to take a photograph, what David calls a correct photograph, with the chimneys equally spaced, then we want the cross ratio. The cross ratio must equal 4 over 3 at least for the order in which I've chosen these chimneys, for the order 1, 2, 3, 4, we could have different cross-ratios for different orders, but more about that later. Okay, so that's now essentially the new problem. And I'm now going to give, just tell you what the solution is. What are the points in the plane, or, or on a map of London, for which the cross-ratio, when you look at these... Well, you draw these four lines that go through O, or you're looking at the chimneys, you want the cross ratio to be 4 over 3, 4 thirds. Uh, what is the locus of those points? What is the set of those points? Well, you can just do the calculations. Uh, I, I did this once, I got it wrong many, many times, eventually I got the right answer. And you can just do the calculations. It's quite easy because it doesn't matter where you choose the line. You see, the cross ratio doesn't depend on where you choose the line. So I chose a line going through the two of the chimneys, which makes the calculations easy. I chose the origin at the centre of the rectangle, used Cartesian coordinates, did some old-fashioned analytic geometry. And the equation of the locus is, is that equation. 24, 25y squared minus 64x squared is 120,000. Okay, and that's the equation of a hyperbola. It's an equation of second order. One recognises that in fairly standard form. It's a hyperbola. You can rewrite it as I've done below. It's a hyperbola with semi-axes, as they're called. A is equal to 25 root 3 and B is equal to 40 root 3. Uh, and if you forget the constant term, you can even find the equation of the asymptotes which are 5y plus 8x is 0, or 5y minus 8x is 0, and those asymptotes will have this slope we saw before, 8 over 5, and, that, and that's not a coincidence. Okay? And here is the hyperbola drawn on a satellite view, a Google map view, um, and it's the, actually there are other conics here, which I'll mention briefly, um, but the hyperbola we've just found is this thick yellow hyperbola uh, it actually goes through the four chimneys. That maybe wasn't obvious, but it's true. That's sort of an ideal situation, which you can't see the four chimneys if you're standing at one of the chimneys, but mathematically that turns out to be true. Um, and you can also see the, the one, one branch of the hyperbola sort of disappearing under Chelsea Bridge, and it's going off towards Ebury Street, from which we saw the view of the power station at the beginning. Well, again, you know, I could stop there and say that's it, that's the solution, full stop. Um, but the problem is, you see, I got that solution by doing calculations. And geometers don't like to do calculations. They want to understand things without calculations. It's very convenient. You know, the Descartes' system of coordinates is very convenient, but it hides a lot of the real truth. You want to try and understand things without calculations. So I want to try and explain, and, and it, it's not so easy, I'll do my best in the next few slides, to 
just quickly why, why we must get a conic. In fact, if you change the orders of the chimneys, you get different conics. You can get four different conics according to the order. Uh, there are two ellipses. You just see them in, near the power station. There are two ellipses. And there's another hyperbola. That corresponded to those other straight lines we saw, the other parallel lines we saw. Uh, so if you're on any one of these yellow curves, you should, outside the power station obviously, you should be able to see, by p positioning the camera correctly, you should be able to see the, or photograph the cameras equally spaced. So all these yellow points are the correct points in David's terminology. You know, if you're a sort of rich mathematician and you want to buy a, an apartment near the power station and you want to make sure you see the the chimney's equally spaced, you'd have to work out the ellipses because the salespeople wouldn't allow you to go into every single apartment, you know, so you need the equation of the, the ellipses to work out where you're going to buy your flat. But if you, were, if you walk along Grosvenor Road, you can see very clearly, if you walk along Grosvenor Road from Chelsea Bridge towards Pimlico, uh, there will actually be four positions. This is now much more accurate, unlike the straight lines. Uh, there will be four positions, and you can... Test, my colleagues tested this when there were still four chimneys standing. There were four different positions along Grosvenor Road. You get to a gas station, you get to a petrol station fairly soon, but uh, you should be able to see four different places where the chimneys are equally spaced along the horizon, but in different orders. Here we've got order one, two, three, four, and then the orders become different. Okay, so why... I have to speed up now, um, but if you're interested, you can obviously study the slides and the transcript. Why do we get a conic? Why is it that a conic solves David's problem? Well, the key point is the, the key um, point is that five points, it's known, and it's quite easy to show, that five points determine a conic in general, provided, let's say, no three of them lie on a straight line. And we have five points. Why do we have five points? Because we have our four chimneys and we've chosen a fifth point, a correct point, where the chimneys are equally spaced. Now, David asked whether such points exist. Well, we know one exists because we found a point at infinity with that property. So we know that there is some fifth point. So if you're really fussy and logical about it, you could require me to use the point at infinity as the fifth point. But... but once you've seen the solution, you know there are other points. So the fifth point is our, the point of the observer. So we have our four chimneys and the observer. And we now know that there's a unique conic curve that goes through those five points. That's a, it's a, a, a fundamental result about conics. So that conic, because we've done the calculation, we found our hyperbola, that conic, that unique conic that goes through those five points must be our hyperbola H. That must be the case. So four chimneys plus a correct position will determine a conic, and that's the solution to our problem. The question is, why do I get the same conic if I change the fifth point? So it's not, we, we do know that the solution is a hyperbola, so it must be the case that it doesn't really depend where the fifth point is, provided it's a correct point from which you see the chimneys equally spaced in the correct order. We must be on that hyperbola. Why is that? Well, it's due to a theorem of a French mathematician called Michel Charles. Charles pointed out 
that if you have five points on a conic curve, like a hyperbola, and you work out the cross ratio of the lines, the four lines from four of the points to a fifth point, and I explained to you how you work out that cross ratio in great detail, he proved that that cross ratio, if you fix the four points, that cross ratio does not depend upon the position of the fifth point on the conic. So it doesn't matter where O is, provided it's on that same conic, the cross ratio will be the same. And it's that, it's that fact, it's that theorem of Charles that explains why the solution of this problem has to be a conic. Because once you've chosen a fifth correct point, you'll have a conic, and that conic, because of Charles' theorem, will give you a constant cross ratio. In our case, for example, 4 over 3. Okay. A quick word about uh, Michel Charles. He was actually the first honorary member of the London Mathematical Society. So we talk nowadays at universities about interna interna making things international. Uh, the London Mathematical Society was trying to do the same thing in the 1860s, so they appointed, they decided the most eminent mathematician to appoint was Michel Charles. Uh, but his name, it's also a household name in France. Um, indeed, French school children who do a lot more geometry, I think, than we do, um, they know what we would call the vector law of addition or the parallelogram law. They would know it as la relation de Charles. La relation Charles. So I'm sure all the students at the Lycée in South Kensington will know about La Relation Charles. So it's, it's a very famous French geometer. He wrote a treatise on conics in 1865, which was the date the London Mathematical Society was founded. And remarkably, this theorem, which in my view is fundamental, appears already on page three of this treatise. Uh, so he obviously, he probably regarded it as completely obvious. I, I can't remember, I suppose he does give a proof, but it's already on page, page three. <clears throat> so you can see he's talking about four points on the conic lines to a fifth point, and he talks about um, le rapport anharmonique, which is the French term for cross-ratio, which was actually a relatively modern concept that was introduced in the early 1800s by Lazare Carnot, who's the father of the founder of thermodynamics. But clearly Charles knew all about his cross ratios and um, understood this theorem. Well, uh, that's almost the end of the story, except that if you've followed me very closely, you'll understand that what I've actually demonstrated is that in order to take a, a correct photo with the chimneys equally spaced, you must be on one of these conic curves, for example, our hyperbola. I haven't actually proved that you can take the correct photo from such a point. Uh, and in order to convince you of that, I would really need to tell you the, where you have to place the camera to take such a photo. If I'm standing here and I'm looking at the power station, you know, I can really only measure distances if I'm looking directly ahead. I might be able to see the power station in that direction, but I couldn't really assess distances from the side. Whereas if you're taking a photograph, when you're taking a photograph, you can, of course, move the camera and develop the film and you'll get different effects. 
But the solution of this problem for our hyperbola is actually extremely elegant. You simply have to place the camera parallel. So suppose you're taking, as in this picture, you're taking a, a photograph from the southeast. You just have to place the film of the camera so it's parallel to the other asymptote of the hyperbola. And so that, and it doesn't really matter where you are on the, on the red hyperbola, you must always place the film of the camera so it's parallel to the other asymptote. The reason that's true, and I, I, I won't dwell on this, the reason that's true is to do with something called the harmonic ratio or points in harmonic range. So if I fix my hyperbola and I choose my four chimneys, we understood that corresponded to a cross-ratio of 4 over 3. But if instead I choose three chimneys and a point at infinity, those four points correspond to different, in using Charles' theorem, to a different cross-ratio. It's cross-ratio of 2. Or if you change the order, it could be minus 1 or a half. And when you have points with such cross-ratio, they're said to be in harmonic correspondence. And it's this fact... Uh, I just mentioned in passing that, that allows you to show you must place the film of the camera parallel to the asymptote. Okay, other, other things I could say is I've glossed over the importance of the order of the chimneys, um, but what happens is this, that if you change the order of the four points, which I discussed, which corresponds to the order of the chimneys, then you change the cross-ratio in a very well-determined way. So whereas I concentrated on cross-ratio 4 over 3, if you change the order, if you do a permutation, you can get six different cross-ratios. You can get R, 1 minus R, 1 over R, and so on. Uh, so in fact, I could have spoken about any of these six numbers, whereas I chose to fix the order, and therefore I was talking about 4 over 3. And that corresponds to the fact there are actually six conics. Um, for each of these cross-ratios, you get a different conic that passes through the four chimneys. There are two ellipses, which we saw before, for our flap-buying purposes, and there are four hyperbolas. But I think only two of the hyperbolas are relevant um, for the equal spacing problem. Uh, so here's the picture again, the satellite view with the, four, with the two ellipses and the four hyperbolas. So I think they're actually... So the two hyperbole and the two ellipses. I think there are actually only four relevant conics. But they correspond to four of those six cross-ratios. You can also see clearly again the Grosvenor Road, as I mentioned before. You, I should also mention in passing another famous uh, theorem about conics, a much older theorem actually, due to Blaise Pascal, uh, his theorem has to do with six points on a conic. He says that if you take any six points on a conic and you inscribe a hexagon, you think of those six points as the vertices of a hexagon, and you extend the opposite edges of the hexagon uh, and find where they meet, so you get three points where the three opposite edges meet, those three points lie on a straight line, they're collinear. Now, to get that to work and display it on a screen, you have to sort of change the order. Rather than doing a sort of conventional hexagon, you have to change the order. So actually, you are seeing a hexagon here. It's just that I've changed the order of the, the vertices. So the hexagon here consists of the six, the six edges, four are, four are black and two are dotted. 
that is a hexagon, and the, they, the opposite edges meet in these three blue points, which are indeed on a straight line. And you can use this construction to actually find the conic that contains the first five points. If you forget about the, fifth, the, fifth, the sixth point, P, you can actually choose a point on this line and construct all these other lines and, and discover the point P. So as you move this point up and down this line, you, P will move around the conic. So that, that's a way of convincing yourself that five points determine a conic, and that's the construction. Um, I'm coming to the end now, just one or two other remarks in passing. Um, I started my lecture by talking about sections of a double cone. So I said that conics are often described as sections, planar sections of a double cone. So if you look at the textbook on conics, you'll see lots of pictures of a, of a fixed double cone and lots of different sections to show you how, how you can get different types of conics, circles, ellipses, and parabolas, and so on. What I think you never see is a fixed conic on the page of a book and all the double cones that contain that fixed conic. So you can ask yourself, let's... Um, have in mind this, what I call the viewing hyperbola, our outer hyperbola that goes under Chelsea Bridge and Ebury Bridge. Uh, have that hyperbola in mind, drawn on a, on a map of London, and ask yourself, try to imagine all the double cones that contain that fixed hyperbola. Well, that's too much to imagine, but I can ask you to imagine the vertices of those double cones. Where are the vertices of all those double cones that contain the parabola I showed you, the thick yellow parabola on the map of London? And the answer is that those vertices form a vertical ellipse which would pass over the power station, very much like the arch of Wembley Stadium, except that that's not quite vertical. Our arch has to be vertical. Incidentally, this was designed by Foster and partners again, um, the arch to keep to open and close the roof. Um, but, it, but in fact, the vertices of our double cones that contain our hyperbola would form a big elliptical arch over Battersea Power Station that goes through the foci, which I haven't talked about, of our hyperbola, which is just outside the power station. So there's also some three-dimensional three geometry. Before I was really talking about planar geometry, we were looking at a map, but you can even ask questions about three dimensions in the, in the space above the power station. Uh, there are also these associated problems about angles, which concern three chimneys. And it turns out that if you want the angles subtended, two pairs of angles. So here we just fix three chimneys for the green curve. I've just chosen three chimneys, and I've asked that two pairs of angles are equal. Okay, chosen the... Um, well, I don't have time to explain it, but two pairs of angles equal. That gives you a cubic curve whose equation, cubic curve means you have equations of degree 3, and there's one such equation drawn at the bottom. If I change the chimneys again, take different pairs of chimneys, I get different pairs of cubic curves, and I can actually get this pair of cubic curves. Um, and I haven't cheated here. The dimensions are accurate. I've taken the power station dimensions. I've found the cubic curves that correspond to having two different pairs of angles equal, and I get a configuration like that. And, you know, this shows you how mathematics can generate trademarks. You know, I'm thinking this could be the, the trademark of the, of the northern line extension that goes to nine elms. Okay, just finally some musical um, 
connotations. The, the power station was immortalised by Pink Floyd's album uh, Animals, 1977, um, in which there's this, you can't really see it here, but there's this pink uh, inflatable pig. They had tracks, pigs, pigs on the wing. A uh, pink inflatable pig above two of the chimneys. You can actually get a mobile phone cover that, that shows this with the pink pig, but it only shows two of the chimneys. I wouldn't recommend that. The, the phone cover doesn't show all four chimneys. Of course, at one point, you may know the story, the pig became untethered and started going towards Heathrow and interfered with jets landing at Heathrow like drones do nowadays, but I guess it finished in Kent or something. Uh, actually, the chimneys, of the three chimneys, as they are, have been immortalised um, by, by a film, which I wouldn't recommend you see if you haven't already seen it, London Has Fallen, um, because there is a shot in that film, it's a film with Morgan Freeman, there's a shot in that film, from supposedly from Westminster Abbey, in which you see Battersea Power Station very clearly with three chimneys, because one was missing. I think that's the best moment in the film, I have to say. <laughs> uh, and finally, my, my favourite picture is um, photo in this connection with Charles, Charles Theorem. Is this photo of a, of a gig at a vent at Battersea Power Station Development. Uh, and you see very clearly from here that Elton John has understood very well Charles Theorem <laughs> because he has equally spaced chimneys. Uh, they're in the correct order one, two, three, four. You can understand that by the heights of the chimneys. Um, and this photo was taken by Dave Bennett and actually published in the London Evening Standard in 2014. And I rather doubt, I mean, he, he's a famous photographer of celebrities and I rather doubt he, would, he wouldn't have guessed that mathematicians would be showing his photographs. Uh, and my final slide, I, I have to show you this. Um, so after going down from the roof of... Kings, I, I, I went to Ebury Bridge again and from the same viewpoint that uh, Matthew Train took his photo that we saw at the beginning and this is the way the power station looked yesterday afternoon at 4.30. <laughs> okay. More of a Christmassy effect, I think. Okay, I'll stop now. For more information, please go to www.gresham.ac.uk.